through it, and we're going to ask the Lord to speak to us. I have arrived at the place in my life where I believe in sermon preparation, but I believe more in the preparation of the heart than in anything else. And that we trust in the power of the Holy Spirit, the revealer of His Word. I believe God has a Word in season, and we need that Word today. You need that Word in your heart and in your life today. So would you stand up with me, and we're going to uh, ask the Father. And I'm going to not read a text right now. We're going to kind of look at a text collectively in just a moment. But we're going to just pray. We're going to ask God. The first thing I want to ask you to do is take just a moment with me right now. Because I didn't do this previously. And let's pray one for the other. Let's take a moment. Let's pray. Father, I want to hold up every person whose name was mentioned, God, in just a moment ago. Father, because of the severity of the situation that they're involved in. But God, nothing is too hard for you. And God, and we, we hold one another up. And Father, we lift one another, especially those that are really walking through the valley of the shadow of death as one might be, God, and we pray for them today in Jesus' name. I ask, God, that the Spirit of God comfort and minister. And I know, Father, that if I was to have asked our church family to raise their hand, if it would have been like a Sunday school class, and I'd have said, well, who has a prayer request? Then all across this room, hands would have went up, and people would have voiced a particular situation in their life that, Father, that they believed warranted uh, being shared in a public assembly. And so, God, Father, we've not had time to do that with a, a larger number of people, but we know that you already know. God, and we're not saying that, Father God, just to, to bypass, Father, that prayer moment, but that's what your word says. Your word says that you know our rising up and you know our downsitting, Father. You, before a word is formed on our tongue, you know it all together. So Jesus himself, Father, said that before we even ask, the Father knows the things that you're in need of. So God, I hold up my church family, where they're at, the life that they're living, the challenges that they're going through. I pray, God, you're going to bring them through it in Jesus' name. Lord, I remember what Jesus said to Peter when he said, Peter, Satan has desired to have thee, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. God, I pray for my family today, my church family. I hold one another up in Jesus' name. Minister to them in a powerful way. And we send your word to all those who could not be here today. And we cover them in your uh, Father, in your word and in the promises of God. Now, Father, I shift my affection and my attention to the reading of Scripture. And I remember what the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy. as He said, till I come, give attention to reading and to exhortation in that order. So today, Father, I ask for an illumination by the power of the Holy Spirit. Instantaneous. God, on time, right now, to equip us to be the people you've called us to be. It's in Jesus' name, and everyone said amen and amen. You can be seated. Joe gave me a little nod and said, Rev, you've got plenty of time today. Preach the whole book of Leviticus. <laughs> We're going to actually be in the book of Jude today, in the book of Jude. It's one of the two shortest books in the New Testament, 25 verses of Scripture. It's the last epistle before you come to the Revelation. And we're going to read just a few verses, and we're going to draw certain uh, things out of this passage, and we're going to ask the Lord to speak to us today. I have had a conflicted heart. 
had a conflicted heart of coming into this sermon today. In my heart of hearts, ideally, I would like to be able to say, man, I have just up on the mountaintop and I had a word from God. But I can't say that to you today. I have a conflicted heart because of the unsettled climate in which we continually see unfolding in front of us in our land. And I find myself struggling emotionally and in preparation of my sermons because nobody wants to hear a politically laced sermon every time you come to church. I understand that. I don't want to be that pastor that, that brings all political issues. But the reality is, is that there are some cultural things that are taking place that are swelling and surging around us that you can go home and you can, you can tap out. You don't have to turn the news on. You don't have to read the newspaper if you still buy a newspaper. You don't have to go online and read anything at all. But at the, that's not going to exclude you from the tumultuous day in which we live. It's not going to exclude you. You can go into the farthest corner of this land and build a monastery and put a flag down and say, you know what, I'm not going out. But I'm telling you, the tumultuous day in which we live is going to find you there. And so we might as well not hide under the rock, but we better just stand on the rock. Come on, somebody. And say, God, I'm going to trust you during the difficult day in which we live. Now, I'm grateful for the Word of God today because the Word of God... There's a snapshot in time, often uh, is the case, of events that happened in the lives of God's people that you and I are able to look at and we're able to glean things. We're not always able to exactly replicate the times and seasons and say it's exactly the way it was then because, it, no, it's not, but it's similar. And in this particular passage here, Jude is the half-brother, many believe, of Jesus himself. He's the brother of James. This is James that is not James and John, the sons of thunder, but this is James that became known as the bishop of Jerusalem. This Jude here is identifying himself in the first verse of this small epistle as the servant of Jesus Christ. He may have been one that had gone to Jesus when Jesus was in his ministry, uh, that the Bible says that he came, his, his family, his brothers came to him, but they didn't want to get too close to him because they didn't want to be identified fully as being a part of his ministry. You remember that narrative in the Gospels, how that his brothers came a couple of times, and at one point they kind of thought he was crazy because he was making claims that, he didn't, that they didn't believe could be uh, actually substantiated. But how many of you know when they watched them take him off the cross and put him in the borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, and they stood from afar, and they watched Pilate's signet ring seal the tomb, and they knew he was dead. But three days later, when he got up out of the grave, triumphant over death, hell, and the grave, then I'm telling you, that reverberated all the way even into Jesus' family, and they became believers. And so Jude is now, he may have been the half-brother of Jesus, but he's identifying himself as the servant of Jesus the Christ. And he says, the brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ. 
Now, as we read this, certainly there's always an initial application of any epistle to the actual recipients of the letter. But there's also a prophetic word attached to it as well. It's written to that generation, but it's also written because it is the Word of God. It's a living epistle, and it's written to us. God's speaking to us as those who are sanctified, set apart, and called by Jesus Christ, preserved in Christ Jesus. Now, when you read the second verse, you would almost think that this is one of those pat-you-on-the-back sermons that you feel and hear in today's generation. It's almost like he's going to talk about social injustices, mercy to you, peace and love. Sounds like Jude ought to be in the airport in flowery clothes celebrating mercy, peace, and love. But if you've ever read this small epistle, you'll know that he wasn't dancing to the drum beat. That's being played today in many of our pulpits across America. But Jude had a word from God. This third verse is the tipping point of this rest of the narrative. Because he reveals his heart. That's why I've tried to be transparent. Jude actually reveals the inner contention that he struggled with in writing this epistle. Because here's what he said. Look at this in the third verse. He said, when I gave all the diligence to write to you of the common salvation, he said, I wanted the common salvation meant the salvation that was freely given to every man, both to the Jew and to the Gentile. It was freely given and freely received by by, by the people of God. It's available to all of us. It's not exclusive to just the Jewish people. Doesn't belong to just, it's for the Jew and the Gentile. It's the common salvation. Judah's saying, and my belief that Judah's saying, I wanted to write to you about perhaps the benefits of the salvation that we have in Christ. Celebrating the good things of God. I love to celebrate the good things of God. I love to remember His kindness, His love, His mercy towards me. I love to think about that my Father is for me and He is not against me. I love to be able to walk in the presence of God and to be able to know I have communion with my Father. But here Jude said, though I wanted to write to you kind of in a little bit of a generic form and be able to pat everybody on the back and thank the Lord that they're in the common faith, he said, I found it needful. Jude says, I'm conflicted. I found it needful because i got to address some things that are going on around you and perhaps even in you. And he said, and actually, he said, it's needful for me to write to you because you're going to need to contend for something. Something that was, that was delivered to the saints. Look at this. You should earnestly contend for what? The faith that was once delivered unto the saints. What does that mean? Once and for all, one time, the gospel of Jesus Christ was committed to men. And the apostle Jude here is saying, there's a faith that you've been given. But if you're not careful, evil men, corrupt men, deceived by our adversary are going to come in. And they're going to so manipulate the word of God So you have what you possess is a faith, but it may be a distorted faith. It may be perverted. It may not even be in the true lineage of the apostolic doctrine and the apostolic faith. And so Judas saying, I'm I'm conflicted. I wanted to write to you. I wanted to talk to you about just common salvation. But I I found it needful for me to write to you about a faith that was once delivered to the saints. And what happened? What can we say? This is going back 2,000 years. What happened? Certain men, fourth verse, crept in, unawares, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. Who were they? They were ungodly men. And they turned the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ 
into lasciviousness, immoral lifestyle, decadence, wicked immorality. They turn the grace of our Lord into lasciviousness and they deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me take a moment here to just kind of interject. I'm never going to apologize to our church family for being as discipleship-oriented as we are because you better know what you believe. You better have an authentic faith and an authentic truth that you are willing to pillow your head even in death and say, I'm trusting in the faith that was once delivered to the saints because we are living in a dangerous time. Now, I don't like to preach about this every time I come to the pulpit. I'm sure that Jude didn't like to transition in the epistle that he was writing. But God forbid that he didn't challenge the listeners that were going to receive this letter to make sure that they were acutely aware of the changing climate that was going on around them. We live in a darkened day, church family. We do. I'm not a a naysayer. I'm not a doomsday preacher. I'm not, I, I live life with a smile. I do. And I don't want, the old song said, the joy that I have, the world didn't give it to me and the world can't take it away. I don't sit in front of Fox News or I definitely don't sit in front of Clinton News Network. I don't sit in front of that for sure. But at the same time, I am not going to turn a deafened ear to the things that are around me. I can't tell you the last time that I watched uh, world news, but I do read a little bit that's happening around me because there is such a shift that's happening. I don't want to be caught unawares. I want to be adequately prepared because I want to challenge the men and women under the sound of my voice to be firmly rooted in the faith of God and to have an authentic faith. The Bible says here that this was men that crept in and they turned the grace of God into lasciviousness. And then the Apostle Jude begins to do something, something that you won't hardly hear in any of the pulpits across America today. He addresses something that no one wants to believe is ever present in our generation or in the generation that's yet to come, and it's called the judgment of God. I believe in the judgment of God. I believe that it's being treasured up, awaiting the day of wrath at the revelation of Jesus Christ. But Jude said, I'm going to give you a snapshot. Jude said there are those that have turned the grace of God into lasciviousness. What's that mean? There are those that are believing because we're in a dispensation we call grace that you can do anything and everything and that, 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 that you'll never be, you know, taken. Or, and, and, and I don't even like to use the old term of, uh, of lost salvation or I don't believe in losing your salvation. I do believe you can walk away from it, but I don't believe it'll be like your keys where one day you'll say I happen to misplace it. But I do believe that the enemy is so uh, seductive that he can deceive the heart of even God's elect. And we have to be very careful. The reality is a lot of people have put their faith in a false gospel that's being propagated in the pulpits of America today. And I hear, and you've heard me say this many times, I'm going to say it again. Just because there is a cross out in front of the building does not mean that's the people of God sanctified in Christ Jesus that are meeting in the four walls of that building. And so Jude said, let me take you on a little journey here. It's a journey that no one wants to talk about because it's involving the wrath of God. You say, but pastor, he started his epistle talking about love and mercy and grace. Absolutely. The God of love, the God of mercy, and the God of grace is still the God who is the judge of all flesh. And every man 
I don't care how you attempt to escape, is going to stand before the judgment seat of God one day. And we're going to have to give account before God of our life, our testimony, our faith, how we related to other people, what we did with this thing that was given unto us. And here the apostle said, I'm going to take you and put you in remembrance. Though you once knew this. America needs to hear some things that they once knew. Come on, your brothers and sisters and your family members and your relatives and your co-workers, they need to hear some things that their parents and their grandparents once knew. Jude said, let me tell you a little bit about it. He said, I'm going to tell you about that the Lord, that he saved the people out of the land of Egypt. Afterward, he destroyed them that believed not. Faith matters. You've got to know what you believe and put your faith in Christ. And then he said, so he said, oh, let me talk to you about, he said, the, the children of Israel that came out of Egypt. You know, the Bible says that they wandered for 40 years in the wilderness until their carcasses fell dead in the wilderness. So he said, let me talk to you first about the children of Israel during the days of the, of the wandering. He said how that because of their unbelief, they were judged and they all died in the wilderness and they entered not into the promises of God. So then he said, if that's not enough for you to stir you in, the, in remembrance of agitating your faith in an authentic faith, he said, well, then let me just tell you about angels. Angels, he said, they left their first habitation. Uh, the, uh, the unseen angelic world at some time in eternity past, we know not when. The Bible tells us that there was war in heaven and there was a rebellion and somehow there were those that left their first habitation. What the angels were created to do to serve God and later to serve God's people, there was something, pride, whatever it is, lifted up. The Bible gives a narrative that's potentially talking about Satan in the book of Isaiah when it's referenced as Lucifer and in pride he was lifted up and he wanted to exalt his throne against the, thar- the stars of God. But the Bible says in Revelation chapter number 12 that Michael casting down warfare. And the Bible says that he was brought under judgment. The angels were brought under judgment. And then in the seventh verse, Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner. I'm going to just read it to you because this is the reality. Giving themselves over to fornication, going after strange flesh, are set forth an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. So here the apostle references sexual immorality. Did you know the apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter number 5 tells us that it's, we shouldn't even speak of the things that are done in darkness, but the Bible says that it's our responsibility to know what's approved by God, that's acceptable in the eyes of God, that you and I have a clear conviction where we read and we pray over the Word of God, and it's our responsibility to expose the gospel of Jesus Christ to unregenerate men that based upon their conversion of faith, they are then taught how to live a life that's pleasing to God. Did you know 73% of Americans today, right now, approve of sex outside of marriage? That it's just common, it's accepted, it's good. If it's good in their eyes, they're saying it's good in God's eyes. 73%, that means three-fourths of every person that you're working with, that you're on the school campus with, that you're seated down uh, at across the table at a family reunion somewhere, three of every four think there's absolutely nothing wrong with somebody sleeping with this person and that person, and it's, it's rampant. And many times our affection, our attention that we are addressing from the pulpit of America is sexuality is the homosexuality. But I'm telling you, fornication is sex outside of marriage. There is a place where the sexual union is sanctified. Where is it? It's in a holy covenant called marriage. 
And there is, a, there is a work in the earth today, in America today, that is trying to mute the mouths of pastors that because if it weren't for pastors, thank God for men and women of God. Thank God who, for men and women who will stand up and lift their voice up and tell Hollywood that you don't have the final word. I'm not going to follow and I'm not going to uh, allow Hollywood to be the dictating influence in my life but rather the word of Almighty God and the biblical convictions that I see. And then it addresses Sodom and Gomorrah. And any time any of you know anything about Sodom and Gomorrah, you immediately think about homosexuality. Now we're at the place where it's easy to be muted from even speaking about it. Nobody's here trying to condemn anybody, but we are trying to address what's right and what's wrong, what's sin and what's not sin. And so we have a narrative here where the Apostle Jude said, I'm gonna, I wanted to talk to you about other things, but the situation warranted that I challenged you that you've got to know what you believe and why you believe it. Because ungodly men have crept in, where? Even into the church, and they're trying to manipulate the minds of people until their minds are so deceived that illicit sexual behavior is being affirmed as being sanctified in the eyes of God. And I've been preaching for a couple of years, and I want to say it again today, that there is greater pressure mounting today for affirmation of homosexuality from the pulpits. The first battle was accepted in the culture. The second battle was accepted in the courtroom. But it will not rest. That spirit will not rest until it is affirmed from every pulpit across America. But thank God for men and women that love people enough to speak the truth. You're not, you're not truly loving somebody if you don't tell them the truth. And so this narrative, the Apostle Jude said, is that as they went after strange flesh, then the Bible says they are set forth as what? An example suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. 73% affirm sexuality, all types of sexuality outside of the covenant of marriage. 67% affirm homosexuality as acceptable as an exceptional way of sexual satisfaction or gratification to the human being here in America today. Don't tell me we don't live in a changing, challenging climate. It's hard to come to church, Dr. Brassfield, and give people four points in a poem. Because you know what? You give me 45 minutes of your time every Sunday, and the rest of the time you're being pervaded constantly, constantly, words, thoughts, images, songs, commercials, into the minds, this particular institution falls, this particular institution falls, pressure begins to mount that goes, well, who, we're going to have to make up our mind. We're going to have to make, we got to know what we believe and why we believe it and be affirmed in our faith and in our convictions. So the apostle here goes on. We won't take much time to talk about this further because I want to take you a little bit further. I feel Jesus in this today. I'm getting my groove on. It's taking me a little while, but it's coming. Number, verse 8, likewise, those filthy dreamers. What are they dreaming? They're dreaming. They're, they're, they're believing that an illicit lifestyle is not going to actually ultimately face the wrath of God. That's what that dreamer, that's the context in what he's speaking. They're dreaming that they can live a lifestyle that's apart from God's call, his convictions, and his commandments, and ultimately find affirmation in God's eternity. And the apostle Jude says they are dreamers. They defile the flesh, they despise dominion, and they speak evil of dignitaries or dignities. And this grieves me today. I believe in civil government. I tell you what, in today's time, if you don't believe in it, you just tear it down. You don't believe in the law, you just make your own up. 
We're living, we're edging ever closer to a lawless society. Hello? Now, I know we are insulated a little bit because we are in the Southern Bible Belt. I will say this today. In America, it is an altogether different world outside, not of the continental United States, but outside of the Southern Bible Belt. Man, this takes all you can do just to survive being in the airport when you get outside of the Southern Bible Belt. At least in the Southern Bible Belt, there's a little bit of conviction floating around. You get outside of it, and you feel like you have stepped back in time, and you're looking around, and you are standing there in Sodom and Gomorrah. You're looking for Lot and the house that he stayed in for that one night. And church family, I want to challenge you. to It's time for us as a, as a, a, a believing child of God to say, I'm not going to be intimidated by the culture. I'm not going to back down. I'm not going to quiet down. And I'm not going to run out and hide on my 50 acres and, and, and pretend that, that, that my voice doesn't matter. Our voices matter, right? God's left us here as a light in the midst of darkness. If we don't speak the truth, who will, right? If we don't become a light in the midst of the darkened day in which we live, then nobody's going to be led out of the error of the wicked. If we don't speak the truth, if you don't speak the truth. So then he says, considering Michael the archangel, when he contended with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses. Verse 10, these, though, speak evil of those things which they know not, and which they know naturally as a brute beast in those things that corrupt themselves. There are people that are trying to teach us about God that don't even know God. People trying to tell you about godly convictions, and they're not even born again. There are people behind pulpits in America today, America today, with doctorate degrees of divinity, and they don't even know the divine influence of the work of the Holy Spirit in their own heart and life. They're speaking about things that they don't know anything about. But here the apostle warns them. I know you didn't come to church to hear preaching like this, but I came to preach it anyhow because I'm grieved in my heart. I'm conflicted. I don't want to come here every Sunday and be like this, but my God, I can't just come here and just pat everybody on the back every time you come through the doors. I want you to know it's a challenging time. Know what you believe and why you believe it. Stand on the authentic Word of God. Have a deep-seated conviction in God's Word. Pray and ask for the revelation of the Holy Spirit. Here the Apostle Jude says, They ran in the way of Cain. They ran after the heir of Balaam. And then they perished in the gainsaying of Korah. But who are they? They they are spots in your feasts of charity. Do you know they used to call the original Christian meetings love feasts? There's a lot of love feasts that are going on under the name of the church today, but it's not in the same context of what the first century church enjoyed. It's perversion and distortion and wickedness, all oftentimes in the name of Christ. The apostle said, these are spots. They feast with you. You know what? I've arrived at the place where I love people, and I grieve. I can't make everybody happy. I've settled in my heart that I may have to walk alone at times. I've settled in my heart, this is hard for me to say. (laughs) We are not the United States of America. We are the divided states of America. And we might as well face the reality of it. And there is a spirit at work in the land today. A darkened, evil spirit. It is the spirit of Antichrist. 
We have politicians that will cheer when a Satanist prays at a civic meeting in Alaska or a Muslim prays at a uh, uh, Congress uh, congressional meeting in Pennsylvania but will boo when a Christian prays in the name of Jesus. That's where we're at. And we've got to be aware to say, God, what are you saying to me? What am I supposed to do? What's my part? Let's read on down a little bit farther. We'll find this. The apostle is just kind of, man, he goes way out. He goes far beyond even what he said. I'm going to talk to you about the judgment of God. You know what? There was something that used to be held in the heart of, of even unregenerate men in America. It was called godly fear. A generation ago, even if you didn't trust God, believe God, even if you weren't saved, you still had a godly fear. There were still some things that were holy and sacred, and there was a certain line that you wouldn't cross. But I'm telling you today, it's all, everything is out. You do whatever you want to do with whoever you want to do it, and you don't care who it hurts. That's the culture in which we live. There are spots in our feasts of of charity. They feast with us. They feed without fear. He goes on. They're raving waves of sea, foaming out their own shame. Verse 14, and Enoch even prophesied the seventh from Adam, saying that the Lord will come with 10,000 of his saints and execute judgment upon all and convince all that are ungodly among all of their ungodly deeds. Verse number 16, look at this though. There are murmurs, complainers. They walk after their own lusts, and their mouth speaketh great swelling words. And they have men's persons in admiration because of advantage. They're always trying to get another position. They'll step on whoever they have to step on in order to get a certain position or to make a particular gain in, their, in, in, in the business world. But they murmur against God. They complain. They're gratifying their lustful flesh. This is what Jude is describing in his generation. And church family, we're not seeing it exactly like it was in his generation, but we're seeing it common to his generation. And the conflict that I brought to this pulpit today is I wanted to come here and say, man, while I was in Alaska, I was alone, and I just prayed, and I've got this good little word of encouragement for you. I'm so glad you came. Maybe you haven't been to church in a long time. And come on in here. I'm going to pat you on the back, and we'll tell you everything's going to be good. It's going to be rosy, and you're never going to have any trial or every sorrow or any difficult days, and I just can't do that. But I can come to this house today and say, yes, we're living in a dark day. We're living in a time of confusion. We're living in a time of deception. But my faith is set in the authentic word of God that does not change. And let me tell you today that the word of God is not going to pass away. The heavens and the earth will be folded up like a garment one day, but the word of our God shall stand forever. And so that's where our faith is. It's in the word of Almighty God. But now look at these last nine verses here. We're going to close with these words because this was just simply a brief dialogue from Jude to help me get back in the rhythm of being a preacher and to settle the conflict within my heart to come to this pulpit and minister. But beloved, remember the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. How that they told you. Are y'all reading that with me? It's not like we hadn't been warned. That there would be, say it with me, come on, mockers in the, in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lust. Mockers, your faith 
is going to come under a barrage of accusations and mocking in a way that we never thought would happen in America. Can I say that one more time? I'm not trying to be prophetic here. Maybe I am being prophetic, but I'm not attempting to be prophetic. I'm simply telling you that there's no place to hide any longer. A line is being drawn in the sand. You're going to be on one side or the other. And this is not a Republican, Democrat side. This is about whether you're going to follow God and the convictions of the Word of God, or you're going to fall prey to the seduction of the age in which you live. And as for me and my house, I'm going to be like Joshua. We're going to serve the Lord. You can laugh at us, mock us, but you know what? We're going to believe in God. I still believe that this ancient book is more living than any entity that's on the planet today. You can write all types of new theologies, and you can write all types of new philosophies, but as for me, the old song said, I'll take the B-I-B-L-E. It's the book for me. I'll stand alone upon the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. Mock us, laugh at us, but when the final door closes on the ark, it'll be too late because the judgment of God will be coming. We're living in that generation, and here he said, I want, to, I want you to be aware, these were the words of who? Who was the, what did he say in the 17th verse? These were the words of the apostles, those that walked with Jesus. Wait just a minute. We live in a generation today when anybody preaches about Jesus, they preach about Jesus ministering to social injustices and his compassion and his benevolent. And yes, Jesus was compassionate. And yes, Jesus was benevolent. And yes, Jesus cares about all people everywhere. But I tell you what, Jesus' greatest love was for his Father and his greatest love was for the truth. And he came to share the truth. He said, that's why they hate me. And he said, and if they've hated me, they're going to hate you. And the reason why the church for 30, 40 years during our generation wasn't under the persecution that we've been in is because we weren't offending anybody. But now we've come out and said, you know what? I'm going to speak what I know to be true. And if you take offense in that, then I'm sorry. The problem lies with you, not with me. And so in doing so, we've agitated a demonic spirit. And I've preached about this in different capsules in the past, but I wanted to see it one more time fresh. In the 18th verse, the apostles told us that there would be mockers in the last time. They would walk after their own ungodly lust. They would separate themselves. They're sensual. They have not the spirit. I want to take a moment to talk about that. What's the distinguishing mark of a Christian? Is it a profession of faith? Is it water baptism? Or is it having received the indwelling Holy Spirit? The mark of the Jew was circumcision. The mark of the church, how do we know we're his? How do we know who is authentically, genuinely born again? Jesus said that if you're not born again, you'll not see the kingdom of God. Did you know, and I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to just attack people, but I'm just grieved when I, when I see pastors and leaders that you know they don't even know the Lord. They're not even born again. There's no indwelling power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. If you don't have the Spirit, Jesus said you're none of His. Right? That's what the Scripture says. Romans chapter number 8, His Spirit will join with your spirit and declare you to be a child of God. If you've not been born again, you don't have the indwelling Spirit inside you. And you can have a form of godliness, but you've denied the true power of the gospel. 
When you put your faith in Jesus Christ and you believe and submit to him as Lord of your, of your life, then he breathes in you the Holy Spirit and you are born again and you become a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things pass away and all things become new. You're an entirely new breed of person living in the earth. Dr. Brassfield's book, The Journey to Pilgrim, uh, Pilgrimage to Pentecost, explained the journey that we're a whole new entity in the earth today. There's never been anything like it before because we now have have within us the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. He doesn't just abide upon me, but he took up residence on the inside of me. And that's how I know I'm a child of God. That's how you know you're a child of God. We can line you up on a Sunday morning. We can greet you and extend to you the right hand of fellowship. We can hug you, give you a card and say you're a, a card-carrying member of First Assembly of God. But the only way that you'll truly know whether you're in the family of God is did the the Spirit of God take up residence on the inside of you? Do you know the Lord through the power of the unction of the Holy Spirit of God? That's what will be the distinguishing mark in the, the generation in which we live. It won't be just going to church. It won't be wearing the cross or buying the t-shirt. It'll be, do you have the Spirit or not? If you've got the Spirit, you're His, and if you don't, you're none of His. And this is what Jude said. That's the distinguishing part of those that crept in, they don't have the Spirit. But you, what are you going to do? How are you going to survive in the generation in which we live? How are we not only going to survive, but thrive? Mo, let me tell you, Noah thrived in the generation of, of evil in which he lived. And he built a boat with three sons without a DeWalt hand tool. And he survived mocking and he survived ridicule, and he thrived. You can thrive in this generation. I'm not trying to paint the picture so bleak that you feel like you have to hide and bury your head in the sand. Actually, I'm painting the picture just the opposite. You need to get your head up out of the sand because you got the answer. You know the answer. You are the light of the world. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said, you're a city set on a hill that cannot be hid. The devil wants to silence you. Don't be silent. Live your life for the glory of God. Get up every day with joy, unspeakable and full of glory. Get up every day and say, I'm going to live by convictions born of the word of God. When conversa I didn't say go and try to make enemies, but the Bible says be ready to give answer to the faith and the hope that lies within you. When you are at work, at school, when you're just living everyday life and somebody brings up this subject, don't shrink away in fear. Speak what the Lord puts on your heart. You don't have to take in premeditated thought as you go to work. Man, I'm going to preach to them today. No, you just be a witness through the love of God. But when that moment comes, let the Spirit of God rise up on the inside of you and He'll give you what you need to say. And you can speak the Word of God. And I'll tell you what, God's Word will change the lives of men and women. And some will believe. We'll get to that in a moment. Not all, but some will believe. The 20th verse. How are we going to survive, Joe? You know how we're going to survive? Because we're going to build up. We're not going to build a monastery. We're not going to build a, a cultish-type fellowship that's so secluded. You know what we're going to do? We're going to build up our most holy faith as we pray in the Spirit. The outward man may perish. But the inward man's going to get stronger day by day. 
I'll tell you what, I may go out, but I'll tell you what, I'm not going out weak and anemic and limited and hindered. I'm going to go out saying, God, I believe in you. I believe in your grace, your goodness, your love, and your mercy, and I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. Right? I'm going to build up my most holy faith as I pray in the Holy Spirit. And then look what he said. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourself by faith. Where in the love of God. Thank God for his love. And one of my favorite verses, I know we're not supposed to have favorite verses, but in Romans chapter number 5, the apostle Paul said God commended his love. What does that mean? God, God openly displayed, validated in a way that it's hard for us to even fully contemplate. God commended his love for us, listen to this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, I know most of you very well. And most of you I would call good folks. And I would call godly folks. And I love being around you. And I love your personality. And I love who you are. But Jesus didn't die for who you are. He died for who you used to be. You were a fornicator. You were an adulterer. You might have been a homosexual. You might have been a drunkard. You might have been an addict. But Jesus died on the tree so that you could have life and that you could know his Father. And God would change your life by the power of his Holy Spirit. He wouldn't leave you where you are. He would take you where he desires you to be. Right? He died. He commended his love for us. That while we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us. So, yeah, we will talk about the love of God. You say, well, pastor, you got to affirm. I am going to affirm you today. I'm going to affirm you in the love of God that he loved you so much he wouldn't leave you in your sin. He loved you enough to tell you the truth. The truth brings conviction to your heart. That conviction can lead you to repentance. And when you go to repentance, you turn to a God that can deliver you of that sin burden and that sin debt in your life through Christ Jesus. Man, I'm about to preach myself happy as I get here to the end. It's taking a little bit to get back in rhythm. I might be under jet lag a little bit. Last four verses. Let's read it in closing. What are you going to do with those that are around you? What are you going to go? Everybody wants to matter, don't you? Everybody wants to make a some mark, don't you? A difference at some level. I mean, not everybody's going to be Billy Graham. Hello? Right? I understand that. Not a, but, but you still want to make a difference, don't you? Don't you? I think everybody does. It's a... Every, everybody wants to, to, to say, you know what, my life mattered. I, I, left, I left something that affected somebody in a positive way. So here's what he said. Look what he said. That's why you got to be, you want to talk about diversity? One of the words that uh, has become so prominent in our culture, you got to be diverse in your presentation of the gospel. So he said, some have compassion. Some people don't need that hellfire and brimstone message because it's not going to work. And just that authentic expression of love can make a difference. But he said, but on others, hello? He said, but on others, save with some people, just a warm touch, a smile, an invitation to church, taking them a bread basket, whatever the case might be. A simple act of compassion and kindness, going out of the way to minister to them. Maybe they lost their kids. Maybe they have gone through a divorce, and you went out of the way to show them authentic love, and that was enough, and God warmed their heart, and they responded to the love of God. But here Jude said, but not everybody's won that. I, I get tired of hearing this about love in the church. Like, if you'll just love them, God will save them. No, that's not the case. That's simply not the case. 
Some people's hearts are hardened against God. And so it's going to take the truth. He said, here, others, you're going to have to just tell them. There's a day of wrath coming. There's the reality of the eternal judgment of God. I remember one of the old preachers that was part of the Reformation, part of the, of the, uh, of the great revivals, and I'm getting ready to close. You see that I'm on the 23rd verse. You know there's not that many more. There's only two more verses. And I can't remember whether it's Charles Finney or not, but it's one that was a prominent lawyer. And he was going in right before graduation to meet with his, uh, uh, you know, like the, 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 the president of the school, his teacher, his professor, who was going to help him plan his future. And he talked to him, and he said, well, what are you thinking about your future upon graduation? And he said this. He said, well, you know, he said, I, I suppose that I'll open a, a law practice, or maybe I'll initially just work under somebody. And he said, well, then what then? And he said, well, I'll probably, as I mature, then I'll be able to own my own practice. He said, well, what then? He said, well, I, I suppose I'll get married and I'll raise a family. He said, what then? He said, well, I suppose I'll grow old and die. And his professor looked at him and said, what then? And that convicting word, when that lawyer left, he went out and on his way home, the power of conviction fell on his heart so great that he went out beside a stump and wept his way into the kingdom of God. And became a prominent revivalist in the early generations, of the early centuries of America's history. Now, church family, people, judgment is a necessary tool for some to lead them to conviction. Because it's a reality. We can rip it out of the book. You can rip it out. The culture has ripped it out of the church. Come on. There, there is, God is just a sugar daddy. He's not judge. He's not, come on, he's just a sugar daddy to, to many in the church. You can rip it out, but that doesn't take away the reality of who God is. He's the judge. He's holy. And we're all going to stand before him one day. And if we're not covered by the work of Christ on the cross, then we will be cast out of God's eternal kingdom. That's the reality of the gospel. I'm not, re, I, I'm not creating this for you. I'm reflecting what's already written. It needs to be preached in a generation of unbelief that we live in today. As I close, he's 24th verse. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. How many thank God that we're in the Father's hand? He can keep us. He can keep us and he can present us faultless before the presence of God with his glory and exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, glory, majesty, dominion, and power. Here's what I want to say as we close. I sat with Sister Sherry yesterday, and I said, Sherry, my heart's conflicted. I'm struggling. I don't have a clear word, which is not lightning, because I'm conflicted in my own heart because I don't want to bring political issues that are cultural issues every time you come to church. I recognize that. I know that. But every now and then, like Jude, Jude said, I just wanted to write to you a letter, talk to you about the common salvation. But he said, but I found it needful, more necessary to do than what I want to do to talk to you about the culture of the church in which he was living and the need to, listen to what he said, earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered for the saints. The enemy wants to take it from you. The enemy wants you to propagate a gospel, a false gospel. Because that's what's being propagated 
in America today. But I'm trusting that God's always had a remnant. Come on now. I'm trusting God's always had a remnant. Would y'all stand up with me today? And we're going to bow our heads and we're going to pray. And I'm going to give an invitation today.